Katie. I'm Erica. And this, and this is, is Book Talk. Hi, Katie. Hi, Erica. Welcome to Book Talk. Book Talk is usually your weekly podcast book club, but today we are doing something special. We are attempting to read one book in one day, over 24 hours. So we're going to read the book over four sections and react to it as we go. And I think attempt is the key word here today because we are not, we're things have severely not, behind schedule. We are not according to schedule right now. I think we're about two hours and 38 minutes behind schedule. Well, who's so. keeping track? <laughs> Literally me. I'm keeping track. <laughs> okay, so how did you hear about this book? I don't even know how I heard about this book. I feel like it's just a book that's out in the ether that people talk about and really like. And it's one of those sort of fast paced books. We're trying to figure out what happens. We definitely, so we've already read the first section of the book and the first 85 pages. I feel like we've already gotten that sense. It is a highly suspenseful book. I feel like every time I mention this book to someone, they're like, I loved that book. I could not put it down. And that seems to be true so far. Okay. Let's go over what we know from the first 85 pages. Okay. So let's, our main character is Rachel. She is, I would say, not thriving in this season of her life. She is not doing well. Uh, definitely, a, I don't even want to say functioning, just a full-on alcoholic. I think self-identified in this section. Um, she's living in her friend Kathy's flat. She is recently divorced from her husband, who she is still definitely in love with um, and keeping tabs on. And she's faking her job in the city, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> When we first started reading, I thought she lived on the train. Like, I thought she never left <laughs> what? the train. No. Just the way it's told, where it's like morning, evening, morning, evening. For some reason, I thought she was just on the train the whole time. I mean, it is called The Girl on the Train, so I don't think it's that far of a stretch. But in my head, she was going to a job and then coming home from a job. Because um, I was thinking, like, if you take the 804, it's 56 minutes. You're getting to your job right at 9. You're leaving at 6. That makes sense for, like, a work day. But she's just faking it, which is the dedication to that lie. I don't know why I think that's so funny. Because she doesn't want to tell Kathy she's, you know, unemployed. But obviously everyone knows she's struggling. She comes home shit face every day. So the story is centered really around her and on the journeys of the trains people she's watching. The house that she lived in with her husband is on the route into the city, into London, where this is based. So she sees her house, which I'm sure is really good for her mental health to see it every day. Yikes. And she also starts kind of watching this couple. She becomes kind of captivated by them who live a couple doors down from her old house. Do you do this with people where you see a stranger or you see someone often and you like build a life around them? 100%. Also, when I was growing up, we used to ride our bikes to the Target. <laughs> it's the most suburban story of my life. We used to ride our bikes to the Target and get, you know, Starbucks. We were like in sixth grade and we would play this game where we would take turns watching people who are walking in and making up like absurd stories for them. Like, oh, there comes Anna, you know, her kid threw up on her on the way in, her husband left her, just like these hilarious stories. <laughs> Go with the most absurd ones of why someone was running or like what their story is or whatever it was. So yeah, I think people do that. I think that she's going a little beyond like the fun part of this is kind of stalking this couple that she's named Jason and Jess, but their names are really Megan and Scott. Yeah. I also want to just point out that my favorite part of this book, besides how hilarious it is, she's faking this job is when she accidentally is like, you know, when Jess and blah, 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 she says the fake name, like you can't say the fake name. And the cops are like, what? <laughs> Who's Jess? <laughs> Ugh. Okay, so do you want to talk about the other couple that's kind of a main character in this book? I will do my best. Okay. The other couple is Scott and Megan, and Megan used to run a small art gallery that closed, it looks like, or she got fired, unclear. Her husband is not a successful IT consultant, so she's somewhat of like a listless, stay-at-home wife who is trying to figure out what she wants to do and is a little bit all over the place. But I'm assuming she is fairly attractive because she seduces her therapist very quickly. I'm also reading another book about a girl seducing her therapist. I'm like, is this a trope? This is the thing now? But she definitely is reminding someone who's obviously very attractive and is used to living this kind of high class life and livelihood and thinks probably she's fine just being at home and turns out she's not. But I definitely think she's hiding something. She's not telling Scott her most like inner thoughts and feelings 
um she seems she's like it doesn't matter how much i love him like it'll never be he'll never know the full story it'll never be enough i feel like there's something here i don't think this is just gonna be a straightforward like whodunit case megan is hiding something we also know megan was really close to her brother ben who died that seems to be one thing she's struggling with and one thing that Scott is attached to. Right. But Scott also seems like he's really shady. He's got yep. issues. He goes through her phone, looks at her searches. He seems really controlling and she seems almost a little bit afraid of him. Um, I don't, I think that'd be too obvious for it to be Scott who did something to Megan because he still wants her to be there when he gets home. He still, he just wants her to be that like trophy wife that he's envisioned. Um, and when she's not, he's like controlling, figuring out why. And the only thing he can come up with is Ben, her brother. But I think we know from Megan's therapy sessions, that's not it. And well, now that's her, not all of it. That's not all of it. Right. That's not all of it. The rest of it, she's not telling Scott though. So he doesn't know. She also says a great line, which is it could be Ben. It could be more. I really don't know, which I think also happens when we all have really complicated, complex lives. We have multiple instances of trauma. We go through multiple things. It's sort of like, what particular thing is causing this behavior of mine? But honestly, who knows? It's all in the soup. It's all in a soup. <laughs> it's the most eloquent thing I've heard you say today. Thanks. It's all in a soup. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. By the end of the section, we figure out Megan is missing so what are your predictions for kind of section two? Do you think that Rachel had something to do with it? So they, the cops think Rachel has something to do with it because her ex-husband Todd and his Tom. new Tom and his new mistress wife and mother of his child, Anna, live in the same neighborhood, which makes sense because this is the town she's staring at as she goes past on her train. And she's unhinged when it comes to Tom and Anna. So I'm not surprised. I mean, she drunkenly called him. Like He's like, please stop calling here every night. Anna talks to her. They're like, Rachel, you have to stop. You have to get your shit together. Um, I feel bad for her because I feel like she probably, from what we know so far, she probably was like cheated on and heartbroken and then kicked out of her own home, which not great. So I can definitely see her being in the vicinity, but I just, I can't picture her doing anything actually sinister. The cop's theory seems to rely on the fact that Megan looks like Anna and these names. It's way too many names in this book for me. They just went right down the 90s baby name registry and they were like, Rachel, Megan, Anna. Yes. Mm -hmm. They also are petite blonde. So they think that Rachel attacked her potentially thinking it was Anna. But I don't know if that that doesn't seem like that good of a story. It isn't that good of a story. I just don't think, I think Rachel's way too much of a, like, I think she's really upset at Tom. I don't think she likes Anna, but I don't think she's out to kill her or hurt her. I think she's wants her life back. Yeah. But also like who does that? Who cheats on a married couple becomes the other woman then moves into their house. I feel like that's so, so creepy. Strange. Maybe Anna did it because I feel like it is so creepy. You don't want to start over somewhere new. You want to be like, this is a PSA for me saying cuss words here, but she's just like, so you're going to feed your baby at the table we fucked on? <laughs> like, whoa. Um, yeah. So that is what you're doing. You're just living in this house that someone else like has lived their newlywed years in. Like, why would you want to be there? Well, on to the second section, I think. On to the second section. See how it goes. <laughs> Um, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. I feel like a lot has happened. I need to like process it out loud. So I'm just going to try to recall what happened here and you can help me fill in the blanks. So Rachel goes to Scott's house. She tells him she thinks Megan was having an affair. She's trying to be helpful. She's occasionally sober, but she's still just really involved in this case. And we don't know why yet. Um, we get a little bit more insight into Tom and Anna and how afraid Anna is of Rachel but the craziest part is we know Megan's having an affair with her therapist and then at the end we finally find out what the secret she's been harboring from her husband and everyone else is I'm so sad poor Megan I know I don't even think I can talk about it okay poor Megan okay we don't have to talk about it I mean that particular thing oh that's so yeah sad I like did not expect to read that in the last three pages of this section it is so sad and she's just 
it's so sad and it's so scary, but it's not like she did this awful malicious thing, but she's been holding on to it. Like she did do this office awful malicious thing for years and years and not telling anybody. And even the relief she feels just by telling her therapist shows you that she should have maybe shared with her husband or someone who could have like supported her through this. It doesn't seem like Scott is the understanding type though. No, definitely. He seems extremely controlling and not great as a human. So wondering how they ended up together. Also, Scott now doesn't seem that great. He just seems like a very mediocre dude. I think he seems worse than mediocre. I don't like Scott. I don't trust him. I wonder if, well, I think, I feel like he knew about the affair. It's really strange the way he's acting. Yeah. I don't know why Rachel trusts him so much and she's convinced herself that she should help him because she also is like, it sounds like everything he's telling me is a lie. Like that just sounds so unbelievable to me. Probably because it is unbelievable. I don't think she necessarily trusts him. I think she's getting attention from him and she likes that and is like, I could help him. He's missing Megan. I feel like she feels some sort of responsibility for what has happened to her, but we don't know why. Also, she just really stresses me out. I'm like, stop going back to the train station. Stop putting yourself in here. Stop talking to people. Maybe stop drinking. Like, please, <laughs> it's not going to end well for you. Oh, I feel like even if she didn't do something, she's implicating herself every single time she goes back to Whitney. Yeah, I don't know what her plan is. I do feel oh, I have a hard time connecting with her as a main character because, yeah, she's just a mess. She is sticking her nose into everything mostly because she's just like morbidly curious and she's morbidly curious because she's blacked out a lot so she's missing a lot of memories and so she doesn't know what has happened in those times and i feel like she feels like she needs to figure it out needs to help i don't know i mean i don't connect with her either i feel sad for her and frustrated with her I want her to get her shit together. I do want Kathy to kick her out. I'm like, poor Kathy also. Kathy's the most likable person in this book so far. But she's also really annoying. I'm like, you're really a pushover, Kathy. This girl is just taking advantage of you. Lisa found out she wasn't actually going to her job. Yikes. There is a parallel between Megan and Rachel with dealing with motherhood and issues around motherhood. Yes, there is definitely a parallel. Rachel starts drinking when she can't get pregnant. And Megan obviously had this really traumatic experience being a mom. I still am confused what the connection is between Rachel and Megan, but we're seeing some overlap in them. Do you have any predictions so far of what you think happened that Saturday night? Also, wait, sorry, before we get there, back to Scott being like a douchebag. He like just didn't call her. That whole night, like, he didn't even check it on her, not a text, not, like, an are you okay? It does seem callous and uncaring, which obviously is why he's not telling people about it. But, so anyways, what do you think um, happened that night? Well, that's my, part of my theory is that I think he obviously was, if we, well, I don't know if I have the timelines right, but this was, Saturday night was when she told Kumal about her daughter, right? No, it was a month earlier that she told Kamal that. But I think this is what's really hard about reading this book. I I read books quickly and just skim over. Like even when we were reading My Year of Rest and Relaxation, I did not realize we were like hurtling towards 9-11 until 9-11 happened. And in this book, we're in the same year. And it's like June 13th, March 7th, July 8th. Like you want me to keep, you want me to write those down? You want me to keep track of them? It's too much. And because the timelines are not far enough apart. It's not like 15 years before and now. It's not your grandma's life and now yours. They're too close for me to keep track of. But maybe it's I don't read a lot of murder mysteries. Maybe people would be better at that. They do this a lot. But I think it's confusing. And I have to go back and check what day I'm in a lot when things happen. Just like we did right now. Kamal did not find out the night before she went missing. I'm horrible at timelines. I would not be a good detective is what I'm learning from reading this book it's there for you to put the pieces together it seems like but yeah we're not um we're not that type of a reader unfortunately I just feel like I'm like she'll tell us yeah Paula will tell us what what happens (laughs) 
in order for me to do that, I would have to literally write it out. Like I would have to have a poster board and do like the thing with the string connecting the pictures. And I could do that and think about it in that way, but not while I'm reading a book. I want to just enjoy the story. So I think that's why I do better with a more linear timeline. I do. My sense is, although my timeline is off, my sense is that Scott found out about not only the affair, but maybe how emotional she was in the affair or how close they had become because it does seem that she's able to open up to Kamal in a way that she has not been able to open up to Scott. And well, Kamal maybe... seems like a nicer person. So he definitely is a nicer person. But Scott has all the tech experience and skills, yeah. which we know a couple of times. So I would guess his skills go beyond reading someone's search history. Well, she says that. She's like, I delete my search history, but he has other ways. So yeah. she's saying beyond that. He I think tracking to do with it. And I feel like. My prediction is Scott has something to do with it. I don't know if he killed her or if Megan ran away, but I think Scott has something to do with it, and I think Rachel witnessed it. I, I do think that Megan's alive. No, they just found her body. Oh, yeah, they did. But did they confirm again, it was her? Again, the timeline. Again, we should not be detectives. <laughs> did they confirm it was her? You're right. They did not confirm it's her, but I believe that it must be her. Based on nothing. Based on nothing. <laughs> Good point. Good point. Okay, so maybe they found her body. That seems to be too simple, too. I don't know. I don't know how we're going to possibly wrap up this story. Like, I feel like it's going to be something really kind of, like, silly. Like, Megan just, like, ran away and is living her best life. And this is some other girl whose clothes we saw next to the train track. Because that has not come back up yet, either. Those girls' clothes were at the train track pre-Megan's disappearance. I have a random theory. Okay. Which is that I think – trigger warning's coming – I think maybe Rachel was sexually assaulted by the redheaded guy Mm. because like we're just glossing right over the fact that she seems to have been hit over the head with something like a serrated something. I don't think I'm glossing over it. I think she just fell into something. But the ER doctor says specifically, it looks like someone hit you with something. Yeah. And she can't remember that night, but she had blood on her hand. Yeah. There's just a lot of like, I don't know if things are red herrings, is that what it's called? Or if they're actual hints. There's the clothes of the train track. There's the redheaded guy. There's like, obviously she's injured. There's all of these things that I don't know if they're actually a part of the story or if they're meant to distract us. There's Megan's having an affair. They're at the house, you know. I don't know. But Anna sees Rachel twice. Like, That's what my guess is, is that this redheaded guy actually then did the same thing to Megan, but accidentally killed her. Mm. And maybe he does this like serially because there was a headband, the runner's headband that she found. Yeah. There's the clothes. But why is Rachel the center of all this? She's just like solving this serial sexually assault rapist person's story. She's just like a detective. No, I mean, I think the just part, bad luck. that bridge and like the part of town mm. where oh, is like where he's at. Yes, okay. that's where he's okay. at. That's his stop. But he's he's not a regular there because he doesn't go to work. He doesn't go to work. Yeah. So this it could be the case where all of the main characters are red herring for this fringe character who actually did it. And maybe something's going to happen with him and Anna. Ooh. Okay. Yeah, that's a really like messed up theory, but I'm here for it. Thanks. <laughs> Maybe I oh, I don't know. Okay. My feelings about the technical side of this book is that it's very choppy, but it's quick and easy to read. It is quick and easy to read. I think I'm just ignoring the fact that she's listed a timeline at the top of every chapter and I'm hoping that that's actually unnecessary to understand what happened in the story. So I think we'll be able to piece it together. Hopefully it's unnecessary because I'm not paying attention to it. And I think it's a lot of effort. But the the story itself is easy to read, easy to get into to figure out what's going to happen. The tension is rising. I don't know who killed who. Dun, or dun, who dun. is yet to die. Whoa. You think there's more? Wait, you think more people are going to die? Yeah, I think Anna's going to die. What? No, Anna's not going to die. Maybe. We'll see. All right, on to the next section. Oh, oh, things are getting out of hand. And I just want to say the men in this section really going downhill. I hate them all. Every single one of them. 
Okay, I'll attempt to remember what happened in this section, but I feel like I have book amnesia immediately because I just need to know how this all ends. I need her to tie it into a bow for me. But Rachel and Scott have sex. They're seeing each other. She's there kind of a lot. Anna notices her and tells the detectives. Tom, who was kind of an okay guy in my book until this section, lies to his wife, which is, you know, a pattern, this man. Lies to his wife, goes and sees Rachel in person. He obviously can't really let her go either. And then, you know, lies to Anna about it. He's just kind of sleazy also. What else happened? Well, we found out that Megan was pregnant. Oh, yeah. Megan was pregnant. And she's officially dead. We needed to confirm that. So it was her. she's pregnant by a third man. Yes. But it's not Kamal or Scott. And so do you think that it's Tom? Yeah, right? I mean, I think it's Tom. Or it's the redheaded guy. Okay, yeah, I feel like the redheaded guy is a red herring. I feel like he's out. Really? I think it's Tom. I think this is an insular group of people that it's happening to. Tom definitely seems really sketchy. He seems obviously like he's really good at lying and manipulating people. Oh, yeah. He seems to be hiding something from Anna. Anna seems to be just trusting him. The revelation of Anna when she's like, oh, he told me, like, don't worry, Rachel, never know I'm such a good liar. And then you realize, like, Yes, you are now married to the guy who was a really good liar. That's so creepy. Ugh. It's also funny that Anna doesn't think anything of the fact that he's now meeting with all these clients for drinks and things, which is exactly the ruse that he used. Yes, Anna, my girl. Also, everyone's going downhill in this section. Rachel is out of her mind. She is now sleeping with a potential suspect in the murder case. She's also going to actual therapy and talking about real things with the other suspect in the case. And the third one who we think is Tom is her ex-husband. So she's really just like digging her nails into this entire situation. Like, (laughs) and she's still meeting with Tom. She's meeting with Tom in person. She's sleeping with Scott. She feels bad about the whole thing. Sometimes I occasionally think she's doing better, like having a purpose. It's helping her, but I don't know what it's helping her to do at this point. I'm stressed. (laughs) Well, where we left them, Scott was super pissed with her, dragged her into a room, but then let her go, which is very confusing. I don't feel like that's going to end well. We end the section and she just runs out of the house. So I don't know if he follows her or what happens, but Scott's anger is like terrifying in this section. But it makes – I mean, Rachel did lie to him. She is inserting herself in this entire situation. She didn't know Megan. She's in the house. Like, she's infiltrated this poor, vulnerable man's life. I get that. Um, but obviously still not worth what he just did to her, trapping her in this room for five minutes and then coming back and letting her go. It is weird. I feel like something else has to happen. But that makes me think that he didn't do it because if he was a killer, he would have just killed her. I'm just saying I don't know that he's not going to kill her. Oh, that's a good point. He doesn't know where she lives. Yeah. Also, he just ran and was like, can I come sleep at your house, girl, that I don't know? Can I come just sleep at your flat for a couple of days? Rachel, this isn't your house. This is Kathy's house. You, you this little love sex template thing we've ha- got going on is so messy. It's so messy. I just still can't figure out the motives in everybody here. Halfway through the section, I also thought maybe Anna did it. Because she thought, or she saw Rachel, and she tried to kill Rachel, and then accidentally she killed Megan. I mean, I just can't, I don't know. There are so many possibilities, because all these characters are actually insane, that I feel like I could make a case for any of them to have done it, truly. And again, none of them are very likable. One of the theories I had in this (laughs) section was that maybe the redheaded guy was Megan's ex, But then they say that he died of a drug overdose in Spain. Yeah. But he so could be. And then it would make sense that he's like hanging around. Yeah, because Megan thinks that she saw him. Mm Mm-hmm. And he was so creepy on that train. He's like, oh, you know, she went missing that Saturday night. Do you remember anything? We were both there. That's the last time I saw you. That was that night, right? He knows something, too. I still think he assaulted Rachel and that's why he was asking. You don't remember anything, do you? You were pretty drunk, right? I was pretty drunk. I know I don't remember. Dot, dot, right. dot. He's leading her right into it. Leading the witness. All right. I don't know if I have anything else to say in this section. I just need to read the rest of this book and then I'll have thoughts on it overall. Can we do a temperature check on how you're feeling about the book? 
I think I'm feeling fine about it. I understand that it's like a quick paced book. I'm glad we're reading it in a day, but I don't think I am truly like enthralled. Like I cannot put it down. Like I have to find out what happens because all the characters are kind of unlikable. It feels very messy. I don't know how I understand it's a psychological thriller, but I don't know. Are you liking it? Are you loving it? What are you thinking? My sense is that from the reaction everyone else has about this book is that it's going to have some crazy reveal or twist that's yeah. so good that it makes you appreciate the this, lead up. This the lead up to that's it, why I wanted to be done with this section because I'm like whatever happens in this last section has to be the reason this book was so good and I made it into a movie. Right now I'm kind of like this has to be leading somewhere or I'm not really into it as far as what it could be as a movie so far. Right now I'm like y'all are annoying, you're messy. Yes, the situation is scary, but also, I don't know. So I hope that in this last section, I'm like, I get it. I understand why that was such an experience to read. Also, what's a girl got to do for a sex scene around here? A lot, apparently, because you're not getting it in this book. I appreciate the plot. I appreciate how quickly and easily we're able to get through this book. I feel like I'm having no issues at all. Okay, but I feel like it also goes like we're in the same four days. Like, essentially, Rachel's trying to solve the murder. We have all the information. Tom and Anna, I don't know. There's not, like, a lot of, like, other plots being brought in. It's not very complicated, if that makes sense. When I read a murder mystery, I like when it's so complicated, I'm, like, truly in shock when it all kind of comes together, which could happen here still. I think that's going to happen, but I don't find any of the characters particularly sympathetic or enjoyable. Right. So, and that's what I really want in a book. I usually really want to like, you love an unlikable narrator, but none of these people are, I like a unreliable narrator or a narrator who is like dark, but there has to be some reason I like them. I'm not rooting for any of these people. They're all like bad people. I don't think Rachel's a bad person. Mm. <laughs> Debatable. <laughs> okay, she, Kamal? She is an interloper and an alcoholic who an is... interloper? <laughs> she is. That I, is the perfect word. I just word. love that word, but I, you're, it's accurate. I just think it's a very funny word. An interloper. Please continue. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, what about She's suffering Kamal? from alcoholism, but I don't think that she... She's also really obsessive. I don't know. I don't find her very likable. I'm sorry. You don't have to be sorry. I'm not even like rooting for her to figure it out. I'm like, can you just like stop doing the things you're doing? It's causing so much chaos. It's really stressing me out. But how do you like strongly dislike her and not strongly dislike whatever her name is in my year of rest and relaxation? She doesn't have a name because she's funny. Like She's not funny. She okay, is we're back. funny. Oh my God. She's not funny. And she's going on a journey. Oh, so is Rachel. She is a detective. Rachel is not going on a journey. She's on a journey. She's in the journey. There's a man in her bed. She's in another man's bed. She's, she's on a journey. I mean, she's the detective, but she's not motivated to solve it. I think if she was motivated to solve this issue, she would be doing more. Instead. She just wants to know. She wants to she's know. She's so morbidly curious. Yeah, exactly. She's like, tell me what she was like. Tell me what that happened. Tell me. Oh, the results of the DNA tests are back on the baby. That's dead. Like Jesus girl. Yeah. Relax. She's morbidly curious. And I feel like she still can't stay sober for more than two days. So she still can't really be helpful. Rachel reminds me of Reddit detectives, Reddit sleuths, the people who are like, if I just know yeah. I could figure it out personally. Yeah. Or like every true crime podcast ever. That's why I think I'm bored of the story. I feel like if I was reading about it, I think when I read a murder mystery, like why I loved like John Grisham books or um, Lee Brown, I can't think like all these like traditional typical mystery writers. I can't think of another, James Patterson is it's from the detective or the lawyer's point of view. And I love the piecing together of what could have happened and gathering all this information. Even like some of the mystery books we've read, which are from like the detective's point of view, like two goes down or whatever, you're piecing it together. From Rachel's point of view, it's like, she's just morbidly curious. She's messy. We don't have all the information. So I'm just hoping she ties it together in some crazy, like Rachel suddenly remembers everything and solves the piece, the puzzle. Do you think she's going to solve it? No, definitely not. Interesting. Okay. I think she's at the center of it. That doesn't mean she's going to solve it. Right. I feel like she's going to find a piece of evidence that helps them solve it. Or she's going to remember something that tells her clearly what happened. But her memory is not reliable, which she knows. You can't put her on the stand. 
You definitely cannot. And definitely not at this point because she's, she's fraternizing so with everyone. involved in every single aspect. It's not even from one side. She's literally like, let me get it from all three of the suspects in this case. All right. Well, I'll on see to how the it end. goes. <laughs> Wish us luck. <laughs> Put that in there. <laughs> okay. Wow. We did it. We did it. How we are you finished. feeling? Woo! Um, I don't know how I'm feeling. I know that I'm like kind of sleepy today. So I'm like, am I just not on my A game? Because I didn't love it. Same. <laughs> That's also how I feel. I think we knew it was pretty obvious that it was Tom. I feel like in the last section, we knew that it was Tom. Okay, so let me just, let me try to understand what I think happened here. I don't know why this book is so, I feel like because the plot feels messy and there's like too many things going on, maybe like too many red herrings because Scott ends up just being innocent completely and just like a jerk. I mean, obviously he, like every man in this book has some serious temper issues, some serious abuse issues situation, but that's Scott. That's all he did. He didn't have anything else to do with it. Megan was having an affair with Tom. Tom's a serial affair person and a pathological liar. He confronts Rachel one night, but also has like lied to her their entire marriage and life about everything she's ever done when really he's been the abusive one. So that's crazy. She comes to confront him. He hits her. After he confronts Rachel, he sees Megan, who's like, oh, I'm pregnant with your baby. And then he kills Megan on quote-unquote on accident. And Anna then finds the phone he was using to communicate with Megan. It was, yes, but it was Megan's phone. Right, right, right. Megan's okay. burner phone that she used to communicate with Tom. Yeah, so then he had to, he had to like hide it because then they would know that he saw her. And then Anna figures it out. She still doesn't like Rachel, but she ends up helping her and they end up basically being like, this guy doesn't deserve to live and they end up killing, well, Rachel kills Tom and Anna makes sure of it. Little co-killing. A little co-killing. Girl power, baby. Whew. When our powers combine. <laughs> yeah, when we just jam a corkscrew right into the side of someone's neck. I mean, Jesus. So I feel like there was just a lot going on. A lot of like, it was also hard to read the like, extensive scenes of abuse. I was just like, I, mm, I don't know. Okay. What did you think? I feel the same way. I did not feel at the end that either Rachel or Anna was sympathetic or that I was rooting for them. Oh. And it's not clear what Anna's thinking in that last section. I think that's the last yeah. kind of big wrinkle or, or tension is what is Anna going to do? Is she going to go back to Tom and try and forget everything or is she sort of waiting and biding her time to take care of him or to take him out yeah i couldn't tell if anna was going to help kill rachel or help kill tom <laughs> like i was like Same. i don't know whose side she's on she's either gonna help tom kill her or she's gonna help rachel kill tom i do feel sympathetic towards rachel though i feel like she was really struggling was obviously depressed and i think that she was obviously struggling with alcoholism and i think that tom took complete advantage of that like he legit would like the golf club situations then he would retell them to her in the morning. And because she was blacked out or drunk, she doesn't remember. And he basically like poisoned all the things she thought of herself. So of course, if you believe the things, the awful things someone's telling you about yourself, it's going to be really hard to pull yourself out of that and like figure out who you are. You also this tension in your head where you're like, I don't feel like that's what happened, but also like I am this worthless and unreliable person. So how do I know? Probably Tom, this angel human, he probably knows. So I do feel bad for her. Um, you, how, okay. You don't feel bad for her. I feel bad for her. I, but you're not sympathetic towards her. I think I pity her. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. It's, it was satisfying to sort of go back and have her re reexamine her memories and realize that like she did know at her core, that's not something I would say. And that's not something I would do. Why would I? hurt you I love you like that just doesn't make sense to her and that's kind of a nice part where she's realizing that this is incompatible with how she actually knows that she is right 
that being said, I just didn't feel like she was that well developed or that like if anything, Megan is the most likable, endearing, sympathetic character. Yes. Well, identifying with the strong woman character for sure. That tracks. Yeah, like that tracks. Megan is taking no shit from anyone, even in her last minutes. And so, I mean, I do feel like I'd be sympathetic towards Rachel, even though I feel like she's kind of, she is like messy and and kind of pathetic in this situation. And I do, I feel bad for her, but I don't like relate to or admire her the same way I feel like with Megan. I'm like, she's struggling too, but she's just a strong woman till the end. But I think that's also who we're predispositioned to relate to. You and I specifically, not all women, but like, I think we're like, yeah, that's, that's the one I identify with. You know, that makes sense. Yeah. I don't think I liked this book. <laughs> I mean, I think that it was fine, but I didn't love it. Again, I don't feel like this ending was very satisfying to me. It wasn't like a whodunit. It was a bunch of really shitty men being really shitty to these women and us reading about it. And then at the end, we're like, oh, yep, they are as shitty as we thought. And they duped all of these girls. That's it. And one of them is a little more shitty than the other, but they're both pretty bad. Yeah. Like, my, I really was sitting here being like, oh, Scott's not that bad. Um, But he is that bad. And I just like, but in comparison to Tom, he's not. I don't know. And, and I agree. I just didn't like love it. I do love the murder mystery in general. Yeah. I... One of the things I realized that made me struggle with this book is that I just finished reading Gone Girl, which is such a good, there's so many like turns, plot turns in that book that are really good. And both of the main characters are pretty fucked up, but incredibly, I found, I thought they were incredibly likable. Like you can realize how messed up they are and still kind of want them to figure it out and want them to get it together as you're going and here the men were horrible the women were easily duped and that's the end of the story i just feel like i also was not super impressed with the detective or the story like the detective part of it where you are trying to figure out what happened it seems semi-typical i'm not sure That's so funny. I just read a comment, a review of it that says, much like Gone Girl, there's not a single likable character in the entire book. Oops. (laughs) I guess I'm alone in that. Yeah, but you love unlikable characters. So even if everyone else disagrees with you, that doesn't surprise me. But I think there might be something, it might even not be that they're like unlikable, but they're underdeveloped also. There isn't a part of Rachel because we don't realize till the end that she's a redeemable quality. There's nothing about you, about her that suggests that Tom was lying until the end. We don't really know Rachel's history with her mom. Her and Kathy's relationship is very surface level. So it just kind of feels like we don't really know her. You knew a lot of all the people in Gone Girl, right? You know why they are the way that they are, what they're upset about, what they're struggling with. So you can empathize with them more. Do you think maybe that's it? Yes, that makes sense. I think that's why Megan is the most well-rounded character. That at least we know the most details about her and what she's been through. So it makes sense. Whereas with Rachel, it's sort of like, oh, you can't have children. Now you're spiraling and have been manipulated by this master manipulator. So I guess I get it. I just didn't find, I just didn't, wasn't attracted, like attached to anybody in this book. I feel like I wasn't really that attached. I obviously saw this, that Tom was sleeping with Megan. I just feel like there was, yeah, there was too much going on. Like there was three separate affairs and like a murder and this whole awful scene with Scott and the detective thing, the man in the red hair, like he never came back, the clothes next to the train. Like there's just a lot of red herrings and a lot of things happening that I didn't get attached to any one narrative because it wasn't just one story and how it all weaved together. There were a lot of stories that did not connect. So many names. Which was a struggle. Yeah. Some of the five-star reviews I'm reading are like, women are complicated characters. We like that they're not perfect, that these girls are flawed, these women are flawed, and so they become relatable. But I don't think that the women in this book are necessarily relatable. I think that they all are sort of codependent 
And but that's not relatable for you. But what this the review is saying is that's relatable for other women who are like maybe more codependent. I don't know. Do you think it needs to be relatable to your circumstance and your circumstances are not with what these women are going through? I don't know. I don't know what to say. I just don't care. And I don't care about what happened. And I think it's like all it's like a line is drawn through the middle of this book where all the men are bad who all the men are bad. They all just want to sleep with whoever, whatever women they can sleep with. And they will. And they do. They're also all bad people bordering on violent with the exception of the therapist. And then the therapist, another storyline we never finish. The therapist, I think, helps probe into the pain that the women have, which that does help. So then we learn Megan's story. We also learn Rachel's story. But then the press also learns Megan's story. So that doesn't seem as important. And yeah, so then if if he's there to sort of tell us more about both Megan and Rachel, why the affair? I guess it's just the thing that gets Rachel involved. It's the piece of information that she can observe that gets her into I think situation. that's to me why it all just feels like there had to be a lot of things that had to be placed to make this story work. Rachel had to be a part of it because the affair or her part wouldn't work. We had to have the therapist because otherwise we'd never know why Rachel is really struggling. Like it felt, I don't know. And also Rachel had to be someone who drinks to that level to black out so often that she was completely deluded her entire relationship about how good of a guy Tom was and how bad of a person she was, which then only kind of fueled more drinking out of the shame. I guess. <laughs> okay, long story short, we don't get it. Please let us know why you loved it and why everyone that I told we were reading this book today was like, oh, loved that. I get that it was like an adventure. I'm not, I mean, it wasn't boring today reading it. Like I did want to know what happened. I just wasn't like, oh, five-star read. I can't wait to give that to somebody. I was kind of like, this was mediocre. Good cliffhangers, I'll say that. Yeah, good cliffhangers. When they are talking, when Anna and That's, Rachel are talking, yeah. and they Anna like looks behind her, and she oh. realizes that Tom's in the kitchen, and you're like... And okay, Tom that scene was wild. I kind of wish the ending was longer, more drawn out. Yeah. That part went so fast. But I feel like we could have eliminated a lot of things and spent more time, because that ending yes. was crazy. Yeah, he has Evie. You're not sure what's going to happen. He runs in the house like Rachel and Anna. That like fight scene, all of that could have been done longer. It was super suspenseful. That last section, look, we flew through. So I will give her that. Like we flew through that part. One thing I did like that Paula did is that when she talks about both the therapist and I think Tom, she describes their hands. And the way that, like, women look at their hands and think about, like, oh, what would that be like if his hands were on me? And I like, I, I think that's funny. I do think that's one of those things that women do that you wouldn't necessarily think of. We're mm-hmm. not always looking at the, the conventional part. Like, you're not always looking right. at their eyes. Sometimes you are looking at their, hand, their hands and their mannerisms and thinking about what that means about who they are. Love that attention to detail. There we go. There's one thing I liked. And I feel like the last time I was like, we have to read this section and we were talking about it and you were like, okay, I actually can't talk more. I have to just read this. I got to know what happens. So she did a good job creating that suspense. It's a good beach read, surprisingly, despite all the domestic violence. No. What are you classifying as a beach read when you say that? A book that you get really like lost in and that you want to keep reading. Okay. Agree with the definition, disagree with it being a beach read. <laughs> I am shocked. I just wasn't that into Katie it. Katie hates this book. I don't hate it. I just wasn't super into it. I feel like I've read a lot of books recently that are really good that I was really into, and it's really hard to read a bunch of five-star books in a row. I think I read like five five-star books in a row, and now I'm like – or four or five-star, like really good books. And then to read this one, I'm like, okay, I'm like kind of bored. A lot of people on Goodreads compared this book to Gone Girl. A lot of people. Yeah. What do you think about that, having read them both side by side? My mom also said something about that, too, where Gone Girl was one of the first books that she remembers. So probably one of the first kind of popular women's fiction books that flipped back and forth between the narrators over time. Here, I guess it kind of works. I'm glad we got to see Anna's point of view. Yeah. 
But reading them back to back, Gone Girl is definitely, I think, far and above a better book than Girl on the Train. I also watched the Kristen Bell Netflix series, which is like the girl in the window across the street from the man in the house, which is a kind of a comedy murder show based on this type of book. So it's like making fun of this type of story where it's this like unreliable, floozy woman who in Kristen Bell's case drinks too much, thinks she sees something, ends up getting involved, and it kind of all unravels from there. I kept thinking about that during while reading this book and kind of laughing because of very similar. They're kind of making fun of this trope or this style. Right. I also am not thinking about it. I hate the way that Rachel comes to figure this out. I would have like preferred her to put together the pieces in some other way rather than like the messy ways that she gets involved. She's like sleeping with everyone. She's going to the therapist. I just, I guess I didn't relate in how she handled that whole situation which makes her unlikable and I also don't think very realistic I don't know also if she is drinking at the level that we're intended to believe she is she's a blackout alcoholic like you don't just quit that on your own yeah you need to be admitted somewhere you're gonna be sick right really sick not like wow my face looks better today it's been three days (laughs) yeah that's like a normal person who drinks and then takes a month off and it's like oh I do look better or I do feel better or whatever. Like not somebody who's like a actual alcoholic, like when she's blacking out all the time. Also that's yeah. I didn't love that the basis for this story and all of the kind of plot pieces was like some fucked up men doing with domestic abuse and then some really drunk and like codependent or unhinged. Yeah. Women. I just was like, this is what the whole story hinges on people getting shit faced on wine and also men being just shit people. And like again and again and again, every, every character is like on that same dimension, I think. Yeah. Where it's like a woman who you don't really feel bad for because of the situation she's sort of put herself in. Yet you do feel bad for her because she's being treated terribly by X guy, fill in whichever guy you want. Truly. Yes, exactly. That's it. Except for the guy with red hair who was a red herring, which is hilarious. That is kind of hilarious. But yeah, he did nothing. He was just a nice guy. She fell and he helped her up. That's it. He didn't do anything. Again, why? Why? And why was she afraid of him? That's the other thing. She's learning to sort of trust her own intuition and trust her gut feelings. But that, in that sense, the gut feeling was wrong because she was afraid. Right. But I think also she was just afraid of that whole evening and she was like not remembering any of it. It's like that sense of dread when you're like, oh, I know I said something stupid, but I don't remember what it is. Or like, I know that I felt weird this night and afraid this night, but I don't know why because she's blocked out. But let's revisit this because presumably she was living in fear with Tom. He was abusing her the whole time, it seems like, or threatening her. Then this night she's blackout drunk. He slaps her and then he leaves. It's not like that much darker than any other night that she Well, he hit her with the keys across her head too. And she saw him leave with another girl. Again, I don't know. I don't know why she feels weird about that guy. I feel like it was was a red herring. So I think that there's probably just like no point to it. Mm. I don't don't know. I don't love it. I want that therapist. No. Ah, Okay, fine. Sorry. Why? He's hot. Da- is he? His delicate hands. I think my issue is like, handsome. I know a person named Kamal. And I think if you know somebody with a very specific name, I'm like, that's the vision in my head. And he's like a 60 year old Egyptian man. It's not, it's not it. Not it for you. Okay. Not it for me. Yeah. Not it for well, me. Well, we're giving this a meh out of five. <laughs> a meh out of meh. Okay. Yeah. A meh out of five. What would you actually rate it? I think like a three out of five. I feel like it was fine. And I feel like you could get through it quickly. And like, if you want to read a thriller, get back into reading. There's like some points to it. You don't, you do want to finish it. So I could see it being like a beach read as in like, you got to know what happened. So I say three. What do you say? I say two, two okay. out of five, close to one out of five for me. <laughs> and you thought I hated this book. That was brutal. We'll check back in a couple of days, but I feel like I will not remember any part of this book or care about it. I think also the story was just like kind of underdeveloped where I had to keep thinking about like what happened because a lot of things happened, but a lot of them weren't important. And I wasn't like invested in any of these characters' stories. I wasn't like, oh my God, I love Anna so much. I have to figure out what happened to her. Like 
I would read the section of the book and you'd be like, what happened? And I would have to think really hard about it. It also jumps timelines, narrators, and tenses pretty quickly. And yes, often. all the time. And days apart. Like, and ex- like moments because there's times where it's like describing what's happening and then it flips and describes yes, what has just the happened next that paragraph. you didn't read about. Which is hard. It's just, there's just a lot happening in this book. We did not like it. I'm Mm-mm. sorry. I'm sorry, y'all. I know. But, like, let us know if you did and why. Always here for a dissenting opinion. It's just wrong. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, all right. I guess that's it. Okay. Bye, book talk. Our next book, our next book club book, if you're joining us, is Writers and Lovers by Lily King. Check our Instagram page at booktalk underscore podcast for the schedule. I'm hoping this book gives us a listless 30-something woman who we relate to a little bit more, who we're rooting for a little bit more. Just a, just a just little a bit. Teensy bit. We're not asking for much, but the ratings are higher on this book, and I have high hopes for it. A funny novel about grief and it's dangerously romantic? Perfect. Sign me up. Dear God, I hope we get one sex scene. Yeah. Also, no sex scenes in that whole book. Not one. Not one. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>